Crossroads Church. Hey, there we go. My name is Pastor Matt. I'm the children's pastor here at Crossroads, and uh, Pastor Craig is away today, and so uh, we get to fill in in his place. I am very, very excited that you are here, and so I need you to kind of participate with me, right? I have a lot of energy. I bounce around. God has called me to that, and because I'm excited that you're here, I am praying and hoping that you're just as excited too, because it is going to be a fun day. Welcome to week three of our sermon series of The Power of Alignment. We've been talking about the importance of having mind, mouth, and manners all in correct alignment with each other in order to give glory to God. So whether this is your first week here or you're listening online, I'm very, very glad you're here. I would very much encourage you to go back and listen to week one, Pastor Craig spoke on the mind. He talked about how if you change your thinking, you can change your life because you cannot have a positive life without a positive mind. God came and sent his son Jesus to help renew your mind. Last week, Pastor Cassie talked about the mouth and that the power of the tongue, there is life and death, right? You can speak kindness and life into those around you. You can speak life into yourself, not just for the betterment of yourself, but for those around you. And so now as we get into week three here, what do we do with the lessons that we have learned these past few weeks? The Bible tells us that whatever it is we do, it needs to be a clear reflection of who we serve, who we say we are, and who he says we are. Manners are the things that we do. Mind, it's our thinking. Mouth, it's our speaking. And now, manners is our doing. So what do we do? Manners are expressions of who we are, and it is very much on purpose that this topic has been saved to week three of our series. So before we go any further, I'm going to pray. <laughs> you could do that with me. Fold your hands. Oh, I did it again. Close your eys, pause your heads, crisscross applesauce. Let's go kids ministry today. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this wonderful opportunity to be here. This Memorial Day weekend, God, our hearts, our prayers go out to those who have given their lives in service. God, I pray that though we may not be serving with uh, a, a nation's military, but we are serving in yours, God. I pray that today you be able to help us take control of our manners, take control of the things that we do. Lord, I pray that the words that are spoken today are not my own, but they're yours. I pray the Spirit lead today, that hearts and minds be open in order to cut and prune away the things that we don't need so that we produce fruit that gives glory to you. In Jesus' name we all pray, amen. Amen. I'm going to start immediately with some scripture right away. If you've got your Bibles or your phones or a tablet or if you're listening online, whatever it is that you can, open another tab to John chapter 15. Jesus is speaking to his disciples in this chapter. This is right after the Last Supper. It's right after he has told them that he's going to be leaving and that he is going to have to die on the cross. And they're super confused and they have no idea what to do next. So Jesus is giving them some practical steps. I'm going to open right away with John chapter 15, 12, verse, or verses 12 and 13. Jesus says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. As a believer in Christ, the actions we take and the choices we make must be direct reflections of God's love and our relationships with Christ. To master our manners, we must be choosing to let Christ change our lives and choosing to express it through everything that we do. God has given us the command and the responsibility to abide in Christ, to step up in faith, and to take active control of the things that we do. The power to do this comes from Christ, but the choice is yours to make. 
So ask yourself as we begin, what active steps am I choosing to take to live in faith and to give glory to Jesus? So let's continue with some scripture. We're going to kind of lay the groundwork for where we're going today. You're going to hear me repeat myself a lot because that's really important. Jesus repeated himself a lot, so we're going to talk a lot about what Jesus said so that we can say it to ourselves so that we can start to do it. All right? We're going to skip backwards. At the very beginning of John chapter 15, Jesus tells his disciples this. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Jesus is speaking in a metaphor to his disciples. He did that a lot. He would tell a parable, he would tell a story, or he would tell a metaphor. Right now, a vine dresser, someone that grows grapes, someone that would make wine, specifically Jesus is using the metaphor of a branching vine that is producing grapes, producing fruit. He says that it needs to be pruned. In verse 3, he says, Already you are clean because of the words I've spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Our first step to mastering our manners, if you're following along in your notes, our first step is to abide in Christ. Sounds pretty easy, right? Stay connected to Christ. Boom, sermon over. Let's go home, right? My manners will be great if I stay connected to Jesus. Easy. Well, actually, no. There's a lot more to it, so let's break this down a little bit. Fruit. Fruit is the result of a healthy vine. Are there any gardeners in here? Or excuse me, a healthy branch. Anybody who grows fruit or has a garden or knows that if you want a tree to produce fruit, if you want a vine to be able to produce, if you want branch to have fruit, you've got to do a lot of work to put it in. The branch has to be healthy in order to produce the fruit that it's supposed to. For us, fruit is the outward expression of a godly life that has been changed by Christ. It is through active and obedient faith that we can show results of that active and obedient faith to those around us. That's the fruit Jesus is talking about. So as we go forward, consider these verses my disclaimer when I tell you that a topic like this, when we get into the things that we do, this is where feelings tend to be poked and toes tend to be stepped on because we're about to enter a territory where we are going to get called out on the goodness or not so goodness of our everyday actions. This is a territory that is going to stretch us to be different and move us outside our natural personalities, tendencies, and comfort zones because honestly, nobody likes to be told what to do, right? Anybody out there who's like, I want my wife to tell me what to do every single day. You're a good man if you do that. Good job. But I don't like to be told what to do. I don't want to be told to sit here, stand there, do this, sing this song, not that song, eat your vegetables, brush your teeth. No, thanks. I am content to have pizza for breakfast, and I don't worry about it. But... When it comes to these rules, right, this is the legalism, the behaviorism, the part of Christianity that tends to leave a sour taste in people's mouths because they're not really sure what to do about it. We don't like to be told that the way we're acting isn't right, but guess what? Sometimes we need it, right? Because we need to be cut and pruned in order to produce fruit. Pruning is not an easy thing, and it certainly isn't a comfortable thing. Anybody ever used these before? Or those like those big massive ones, right? That you have to like ugh, scrunch with both hands in order to chop a branch off. If I came at you with one of these, it certainly would not be comfortable. Cutting and pruning might hurt a little bit, but it's necessary. Conviction is a good thing. And trust me when I tell you that even if it hurts a little bit, it's a good thing for us because it helps us understand what we need to do differently. Guilt and shame are tools of the enemy that make you hate yourself. 
But conviction is a process that the Holy Spirit gives us in order to hate sin. It keeps us away from the things that are dangerous and that don't line up with God's word so that we can be better. When we're connected to Christ, he prunes. Conviction moves us into a place that empowers us to be different and to be better. Growing up, and honestly still today, and I'm sure some of you can understand this too, I had this terrible habit of being an ecstatic young man who would do something really dumb and then feel really bad about it and then immediately say, I'm sorry. And then afterwards, I'd do the exact same dumb thing all over again. Uh, I'm sure some of you have been there before, right? I'd do it a couple times, and my dad would always come in, and he would say, quit just saying sorry, be different. Don't just be sorry, be different. Because we can say we're sorry all we want, but if we're not ready to take the action to be different, then the sorry doesn't mean anything. Jesus did not die on the cross for you to stay sorry. He rose again so that you could be different. Right? We are not a big group of sorry people. The church is a body of believers whose lives are completely different because of the power of Christ. So what does that mean for us? It means that sometimes, church, it is necessary to be told that the way we're acting stinks. It isn't producing fruit. It is not helping anyone. And it is making a poor impression on those around us. It is not a proper reflection of who we say we are and who the God that we believe in is. It certainly isn't a reflection of who we say we believe in. And so when it comes to our manners, church, then we need to be actively choosing to allow God to cut and to prune all of our behaviors so that they are the results of an obedient faith in Christ. Abiding in Christ means getting snipped and pruned so that we produce fruit. It means that it's going to be tough, and it might hurt a little, and sometimes it's really scary. It is going to require you to stay actively connected to Christ, to take a hard look at yourself and ask, what active steps am I choosing to take to live in faith and to give glory to Jesus? But remember, remember, who's the vine dresser? Are we the ones holding the clippers? Is it me? Is it Pastor Craig? Is it our spouse? It's not. Jesus says that it's the Father. When it comes to pruning our behaviors and our expressions, it isn't us who does it. Because truthfully, we're not very good at it, and we can't do it on our own. Today, our goal is not to feel so bad and so frustrated that we try harder to fix ourselves, but instead, our goal needs to be total surrender to the Spirit. Your manners come from surrender to God to help you see the areas of your lives that aren't living up to what God says is correct. They're not lining up with God's word, and we take control over them so that they might produce fruit for God's glory. That's what it means to abide in Christ, to choose to stay connected because the power comes from the vine and not the branch. Does that make sense? And so people are going to get pruned in different ways. Everybody is going to have a little bit different of an area to work on. Maybe it's the way that you act while you're at work. Are you cussing out your boss like those other guys? Or are you showing him respect as your authority, even if he might not deserve it? Maybe it's the way you treat your spouse. Are you loving and supportive, or are you naggy and judgmental? Is it the way that you treat those with different opinions than your own? Are we berating and conceding, condemning? Or are we kind and gentle and considerate? Are you actively living for Christ outside these walls, in your schools, at your homes, at your workplace, on social media? Or are you living one way at church in a completely different way in the world? I know I'm guilty of this um, because I like to be the guy who just kind of shows everybody the good parts, right? But then 
my frustration and, you know, a little bit of my ecstatic personality comes out in ways that I'm not taking control over. And sometimes the things that I say that I believe in don't line up with the things that I wish I was doing. Does that make sense? I'm going to share a story with you because I love stories, and I feel like this story really, really helps. Has anybody heard of a man named Jean-Francois Grevelet? Or maybe Charles Blondin? Maybe you've heard of the Rope Dancer of Niagara Falls. Does that sound familiar? Daredevil of Niagara Falls. This is a very popular story of a really impressive man who came to the United States from France, and he declared in the 1800s that he was going to be the first person to tightrope walk over Niagara Falls. That's crazy. <laughs> if you've ever been to a circus and you've seen these guys, it's really impressive the way that they can balance. Well, he declared, I'm going to do it. I'm going to tightrope walk all the way across Niagara Falls. And in 1859, on June uh, 30th, he did it. He tightrope walked over Niagara Falls, and he continued to do it for the rest of his career. It's said that Charles Blondin walked almost 10,000 miles on his tightrope more than 300 times across the careening waters of Niagara Falls. And he would do crazy things while he did it. He would do it blindfolded. He would do it upside down. He would take crazy objects with him. There's this one time where he took a stove and he made an omelet. Now remember, this is the 1800s, right? So it's not like your little Coleman camping green flip-up stove. No, this thing is a furnace. Dude packs a furnace on his back. He goes out to the middle of this rope. He sits down. He starts his furnace. He makes an omelet. He eats half the omelet. He lowers the other half to a passenger on a ferry beneath him. He packs it all up and makes it to the other side. That's wild. This is a true story. This is all real stuff that he did. The guy is nuts. The story goes that one time, Charles Blondin took with him a wheelbarrow. And he wheeled it all the way across Niagara Falls. And he got there. He was spinning it around. He was doing tricks. He wheeled it all the way over. And people were like, that's crazy. You're nuts. You can't do that. That's amazing. You're so impressive. He gets to the other side. And he takes a bow. And people are cheering for him. And he asks the crowd at this point, how many of you think I could take a person with me across Niagara Falls in this wheelbarrow? Crowd goes nuts. They're like, yeah, you can do it. We know you can. We saw the omelet trick. Take a person. Okay, then he says, how many of you want to see me do it today? And he, they say, yeah, you can do it. We want to see you do it. And then he says, which one of you wants to get in my wheelbarrow? <laughs> the crowd was silent. And that day, Charles Blondin went home early because nobody volunteered to get in his wheelbarrow. Church, we are unfortunately notorious for declaring loudly our faith in an amazing and wonderful God and then failing to take action that proves it. We might believe in God, truly, and we might say that we want him to do amazing things. We might say that we trust him, but then when it often, we look a lot like those people on the shores of Niagara Falls. We get really scared when we're asked to step up in faith. Sometimes manners isn't necessarily about pruning a behavior, but it's about stepping into something that God wants you to. It's about practicing our faith. Our second step to mastering our manners is to step up in faith, because a faith without action that proves it is dead. It does you no good, and it does those around us no good. We are not redeemed by our works, but instead, we prove to those around us with our actions that we are in total surrender to Christ. And it's to see good come to others and glory come to God. 
Listen to what the disciple and apostle James tells some Jewish converts who are arguing about this. They're saying, is it this or is it that? Is it our faith or is it our deeds? Do we follow the law? Do we do stuff? Or do, if we just believe, are we okay? And James says, yes. I like James. He's a yes man when given a this or that. My wife says, do you want hot dogs or hamburgers for dinner? I say, yes. That sounds like a great idea. James chapter 2, verse 14 says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but then does not have works? Can that faith save him? If there's a brother or sister who is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warm and filled, but you don't give them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. This is a hard scripture to manage. This is hard. This is truth. And this is the truth. It says that Christ is the one who provides salvation. We're not saved by the things that we do. We don't earn salvation. We're saved by a confession that Christ is our Lord and Savior, and he's the one who does it. But the Bible is very clear that when it comes to our manners, there needs to be active follow-up to what God says is right and what he asks you to do. It doesn't always have to be something record-shattering or something as amazing as walking across Niagara Falls. It just has to be obedience to what God is asking you to do. Charles Blondin said, does anybody want to get in? He didn't ask anybody to push it across. And sometimes we do that to God, right? God says, hey, get in the wheelbarrow. And we say, God, there's no way I could push that wheelbarrow across Niagara Falls. God's like, that's, that's not what I asked you to do, right? God says, serve others. Sign up for that Hickory Serve Day on July 13th. Go paint some benches. Go play with some kids to let them know that they're loved and that God loves them. And we say, God, I can't give up my entire weekend to rebuild a school from the ground up. That's impossible. God says, I didn't ask you to do that. God says, trust me with your tithe. It's only 10%. And watch how much I'll provide afterwards. We say, God, I can't give you my entire paycheck. How am I going to make rent? God says, tell that woman Jesus loves her. We say, I can't write an appeal to share my four-hour testimony during a half-hour break time. There's no way I can do that. God says, show your children you love them. We say, God, I can't quit my job to take my son all over the United States to help him pursue his career as a pro Fortnite player. That's ridiculous. (laughs) God says, no, 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 just show him you love him. Be an example. Forgive your spouse. We say, God, I can't magically rid them of all their addictions, so no. But God says, step up in faith and see what I can do. How often does God ask us to step up in faith, but then we make it way harder on ourselves because we don't take active control of the faith that we say we have and that the amazing God will provide for us. We say we trust God. We want him to do amazing things. We believe he can, but then our manners tend to prove otherwise. So what do we do? How do we get in the wheelbarrow? You might be saying, okay, Pastor Matt, I get it. I think I understand now. But what do I do? Step three in mastering our manners is to take active control of the things that you do. I'll say that again. Take active control of the things that you do. We are only ever in control of ourselves. I was going through some of those examples before, and you were elbowing the guy next to you. Yeah, yeah, that's good stuff. No, we've got to take control of the things that we do. It comes down to taking control of our own actions with God's help. It starts with the man in the mirror. It takes asking ourselves, what active steps am I choosing to take to live in faith and to give glory to Jesus? It starts with deciding to do more than just go through the motions. It requires you to be consistent in looking at yourself in everything you do, asking God to reveal the areas that need some work. 
Remember that whole conviction thing we talked about earlier? Remember that it takes God, it takes us going to God so that God can tell us what we need to do in faith. You can begin to actively look at yourself and become who God says you should be. Pastor Craig talked about when you change your thinking, you can change your life. Consistency is a good thing, and our manners come with consistency the same way that our thinking does. We're no longer just going to read the Bible. We're going to become Bible readers. We're no longer just going to worship on Sunday, but we're going to be lifelong worshipers. We're no longer just going to pray on occasion or when we're asked to, but we're going to pray without ceasing. We're no longer hiding from the enemy. We're warriors. We're no longer just nice. We're sharing love with those around us. We're no longer just a volunteer, but we are a servant of Christ and others. We are bringing glory to God in everything that we do. If you're a spouse, love and serve your partner regardless of what they've done for you. If you're an employer or a leader, set an example of God's love by creating an environment of grace and mercy. If you're a parent, be present with your children rather than just in charge of them. If you're single, trust God with the plans that he has for you instead of the plans you might have for yourself. If you're more experienced, I suppose I should say it, you're not old, right? You're experienced. Show a young and media-bombarded generation that there is significance to a life connected to Christ and not connected to a feed of garbage that comes from social media. There is so much that you can do, but remember, none of these things are possible without understanding that it is Christ who gives us the power to do this. While we choose to be obedient in what God is asking, it's not about us. It is about total surrender to an amazing God who has already gone ahead and taken care of the things that we can't do on our own, and instead, he is working through us to show others how much he loves them. That's what manners is about. It isn't about us. It is about the God that we serve. We are obedient because of what God has done. Because we can't do all that stuff on our own, and even if we did, sometimes it's for the wrong reasons, right? If I were to step into Charles Blondin's wheelbarrow, would I get the credit for pushing the wheelbarrow across, or would he? Would people celebrate me for getting in, or would they celebrate him for how amazing of a job he did doing something incredible? People would cheer him on for his incredible act of impressiveness. And it's the same thing with Jesus. When we start to get our manners in place, that's an opportunity to point people to God. Because it is all for his glory. Not mine, not yours, not Crossroads Churches. It is for the glory of God and his namesake that he has overcome the world and he can prune and cut our manners. And you know what? Even the disciples struggled with this too. There is this one time where they're all on the road and they're getting to their next destination and they are walking behind Jesus arguing about which one of them is the greatest disciple. <laughs> they get to their destination and Jesus turns around and says, what were you all arguing about? How embarrassing would that be, right? Could you imagine? God is literally walking in front of you and you're behind him having a prideful, a prideful argument about how about great you are. Where's those clippers at, right? That's where we need to... Okay, but we've been there before. The Bible says, however, that Jesus addressed them immediately. He said to them, in Mark chapter 9, verse 35, he sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, if any of you would be first, he must be last and a servant of all. They're like, but what about the rulers and officials? Aren't we kind of like that? If you're a king, don't we get to be next to you? Don't we get to you? And Jesus says, uh-uh. Matthew 20, verse 26 and 27, it says, It shall not be so among you. 
But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others. To give his life as a ransom for many. There is no greater love than this, to lay down one's life for a friend. My commandment is that you love others the way that I have loved you. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your enemy greater than your own. These are Jesus' words, not mine. What would your life look like if we adopted a model of servanthood when it comes to our manners? What would change? What would people see in you? Would people see something different? Would you look different than the other people at work? Would you look different than your family members who don't know Jesus? Do we really love others the way that Christ expects us to? Do people see how much we care? Do we love God so much that in such a way that all of our actions are direct reflections of his love? Are the choices you are making and the actions you are taking a direct reflection of God's love and your relationship with Christ? Do the things that we do lead others closer to him. What if, when your spouse admits that they're wrong, you said, I forgive you, instead of, told you so. What if you loved or respected them so much that the cycle of frustration between you is broken because of your willingness to serve them regardless of how they're serving you? What if, when your child is struggling to discover who they're meant to be, you said, let's explore what God says is right and what God has for you, instead of, well, you ought to know better. You went to church. You go to Sunday school. What if you tipped the waiter or waitress an extra 10% even though they forgot ketchup again? I was a server for many years while I was in school, and some of my least favorite customers to the serve were the ones who were really rude, who left nothing but a Bible tract on the table. That's, never mind, I'll leave that there. That's a sermon for another day. What if you stopped judging that guy at work so harshly, regardless of his attitude, his political stance, his orientation, or whatever other label he's decided to mark himself with, or you've marked him with? What if you worshipped the same in your home, or at your workplace, as you did at church? What if we decided to follow Christ in such a radical way that people around us looked and said, I don't understand how they could be so joyful when there's all this junk going on around them? How can we expect our brother to be honest to us if we're not honest with them? How can we expect our children to use their manners if we have never once modeled it for them? To open up with a struggle or to apologize if we haven't done so for them first? How can we expect someone to want to pursue Christ if we don't model it? How can we expect people to trust us if all we have to say are negative comments and gossip about others behind their back? How can we expect God to use us if we are unwilling to allow him to cut and prune the things that we know are keeping us from producing fruit? I know that this thing that I do is bad, but I'm not ready to give it up to God because that's the one thing that I want control over. I know that there's areas that I need to grow in, but I'm just going to leave it there and let God take care of it instead of actively choosing to let God take care of it. How can we expect others to come to Christ if we are not getting in the wheelbarrow and letting God push us beyond what we're comfortable with? Manners is all about expressing. It's all about what we do. What's in our mind, what's in our mouth needs to be backed up by what we do. So in closing, wherever you are in your walk with Christ, whether you have been a believer your entire life or you're still trying to figure it out, today I want you to go home with something. If it's anything, it should be this. It should be that God loves you so much. 
so very much that Jesus died on the cross and rose again to defeat any sin that might be holding you back from a relationship with him. He has provided an opportunity to see your life completely different, changed for the better. Your manners must be a reflection of that truth. Your manners need to be a choice to stay connected to Jesus no matter where he takes you and no matter what you decide to do. Jesus provided a way for you to step in. It is your choice to make. The God who loves you very much does not push that wheelbarrow just for you to be safe. He does not push that wheelbarrow so that you can be afraid. And he doesn't push it so somebody else can get in. He pushes it so that you can. He is calling you. He asks, are you going to get in? Are you going to abide in me? Are you going to allow me to cut and prune you so that others see the amazing work that I can do? Are you willing to put in the work that lets me hammer and chisel your bad habits away, even if it hurts? When it's not easy, when it gets really scary, will you trust me? Sometimes when it feels nearly impossible, if you would just make the choice to leave the ground behind you, how amazing would it be? How incredible could your actions be and your manners be and how much glory could come to God through what we decide to do? As believers in a God who loves us and calls us redeemed, we ought to be acting like we're redeemed. Wouldn't you think? How we think, how we speak, needs to be directly followed up with our actions. It needs to be a reflection of God's love and, to the, uh, and of the amazing love that he has for others. So ask yourself, what active steps am I taking to live in faith and to give glory to Jesus? Abide in Christ, to step up in faith, take active control of the things that you do, because it is not for your glory, it's for his. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you today knowing that you are powerful and mighty. We come to you today knowing that there are areas in our lives that we need to give to you completely. God, that we may not be abiding in you like we say we are. Lord, we say we trust you, we want to trust you, but then our actions are not following up. Lord, we want to show others how amazing you are. We want to be an example of your love. We want our manners to be reflections of you. God, I pray that you help us to do that today. Lord, if there is anyone in this room right now who is thinking to themselves, you know what? I need to get in that wheelbarrow for the first time. I've never put my faith in Jesus before, but I'm ready to do that today. I'm ready to accept Jesus as my Savior. I surrender to him. I want him to forgive me of all the things that I've done. I know that I can't earn it by what I do, but I want to surrender to Jesus. If that's you, could I have you raise a hand? For the first time, yes, thank you. Thank you. If I could have everyone in this entire room, let's go to God together. Repeat after me by saying, Heavenly Father, we thank you for all you've done. I know I've made mistakes. I know my manners aren't in check. But I know that my life belongs to you. I decide to follow you. I declare that you are my Savior. And no matter what I've done, you forgive me. If there's anyone in here who knows that their manners need to look a little different, you're ready to stop saying sorry and to start acting differently with the power of Christ. You're ready to trust God with all of your actions, to abide in him completely and to step up into what he's calling you to do, to see glory come to God through all you do. Can I have you stand to your feet if you're able as we close in one final prayer? If you are ready to take a step, if you are ready to decide to not be the way you were before, but to let God use you in an amazing way to change and shape your manners that you might reach those around you. 
Heavenly Father, we pray for those. We pray for everyone in this room, God, that they be empowered not to, to, to remember that it's not them who does it, but it's you who does it. To allow you to change our lives completely, to allow you to use us in an amazing way that shows others your love. God, help us take active control over the things that we do so that they are the reflection of how much you love us and how much you love others. God, I pray that as we go back to our spouses, we be able to serve them. As we go back to our children, we be able to lead them. As we go back to our workplaces, that we be able to be an example of mercy and grace. God, wherever it is we are going, that you be the one who cuts and prunes so that people see you, and that we are no longer living this life by our own power, but by yours. Heavenly Father, you have done such amazing things. You have overcome this world so that we can't just stay sorry, but we can be different. It is through your grace that all these things are done. Help us to trust you as we go. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us this morning. I know.